Well, let's hear, folks, if you're ready or not, it is Christmas time <laughs> at Grace. Uh, so hopefully uh, you're all buckled up. Did you enjoy the brass quintet in the uh, lobby? Wasn't that lovely? It was beautiful. Uh, before I begin my message, I just want to take a second and acknowledge just how, um, how moved I have been recently by you, by the people of Grace. And in particular, we've lost several incredible people over the last several months here at Grace. We've had quite a few uh, funerals, more than, more than normal, and um, I, I just want to acknowledge some of the, the incredible people that we, have, that we have lost who are here. And in particular, this past Wednesday, I had the privilege of officiating the, the celebration of life for Tom Shepard, and Tom's widow Paula is right back here, and they used to sit right over there. You probably saw Tom. He always had, he was a Korean War veteran. He always had his Korean War hat on, and he was just about the friendliest man you could possibly ever meet. And I just want to say, having spent some time with the family, uh, getting to know them and, and even Tom's story a bit more than I already knew, I have been blown away by the character of people like Tom, who are so inve- who have been so invested at Grace Church and believe in what God is doing here so much. And in particular, the thing that stands out about Tom, and anybody that knows him will tell you this, is he was like relentless and ruthless with his giving. He was all about tithing, and it was the most, one of the most important things. Isn't that right, Paul? It was one of the most important things to him is, is making sure that he could tithe. Even, he's like the post office of tithing. If it was raining, if he was sick, it doesn't matter. He was here, and, and even towards the end, on his last in-person visit, he was not well, but he insisted on coming in person because he had to get that offering in, in the box. And I, it just— it's not about the giving. What I, what I wanted to share with you is just the fact that it is incredible to me to know that there are so many of you who are so invested here in all the ways that, that make this church what it is. And I'm just grateful and I'm moved. And it was such a privilege, Paula, to be a part of that, that uh, service on Wednesday. Um, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. So I just wanted to say all of that because it's on my heart. Um, why don't we pray and then we'll dive into the message. Well, Father God, We invite you into this space. Uh, I'm grateful for what you have done over the years here at Grace. I'm grateful for what you are going to do. Uh, And today, Father, as we turn our eyes to the the birth of your son, as we think about Christmas, as we think about peace on earth, would uh, would you speak to us in a special way today? Would our ears be open, our minds be clear so that we can hear your voice? And as I uh, open your scriptures, Father, I ask that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain in this space and in this time. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, to kick off this series, I'd like to introduce you to uh, a very happy potbelly pig named Marty. He's not here in person, but I've got a video to show you Marty. This is Marty. Olivia and I adopted Marty uh, a couple, back in September along with four other potbelly pigs, and he is a sweetheart. That's <laughs> him scratching on the wall. Marty is obsessed with—well, he loves pumpkins for one thing, but he is obsessed with blankets. We call him Blanky Boy because he— he, he spends lots of time every day meticulously arranging all of his blankets and hay to make a perfect nest for himself. And don't you dare mess with him when he's with, got his blankets because he will, he will let you know he's not happy. These are his blankets. Anyway, Marty, uh, 
is just, he's just delightful. He's so sweet. And, and I've been thinking a little bit as I've thought about this series, and you'll see why in a moment, but I've been thinking about what life must be like from his perspective. Because as far as he's concerned, life just keeps getting better and better and better. Marty, uh, he's, he's about four, four and a half. Is that right? About four and a half-ish? Yeah, we don't know. Five years old. And before uh, he was brought into the, the rescue farm where he was, he was fostered and then ultimately got adopted by us, uh, he lived a pretty rough life. Like he was bouncing around between different shelters and animal control, and he's got literal scars from that time. He, his ears got a big chunk torn out of it. Like poor guy went through an awful lot. Um, but then he ended up at this rescue farm where all of a sudden he was, he was surrounded by, he had his own little, little herd, five pigs together now, uh, where he had a full belly. He was warm in the winter. I mean, at, at his point, at that point, he was like, wow, I must have died and gone to heaven because this is incredible. But then one day he gets shipped off and, and shows up at this new place where all of a sudden he and his herd have the whole barn to themselves. And he's probably thinking, wait, there's more? It gets better. And then one day, a little bit later, there's a, a doorway that opens up in the wall next to Marty and he goes out and he looks around and all of a sudden he realizes he's got a quarter acre of grass and trees and acorns and, and, and sunshine all to himself. And he's like, wait, there's more? And then the fresh fruits and vegetables start coming in, apples and pumpkins. And, and oh, he's just delighting in that, eating all this great stuff. Wait, there's more. And little does he know that next year, oh, he doesn't even know what's coming. It's going to be cucumbers and blackberries and uh, apples if the trees start producing. It's going to be tomatoes fresh off the vine. And yes, a whole lot more pumpkins, Marty. He has no idea what's in store for him. Yes, Marty, there's more. There's more. It gets better. So I'm telling you all of this, trying to put ourselves in Marty's position for a moment because— I think that his experience in life these days, his, his delight, what I imagine to be, his, I know I'm anthropomorphizing, his delight, his disbelief at things just getting better and better, I think something in that rings true for me about, about how God desires us to feel with our walk with Christ. Like, like, for example, we are in Christ, we are saved from our sin and shame, right? Incredible. That's amazing. But then— we're drawn into this loving community, the church where, where we can be our true selves and be loved through life's turmoil. Wait, wait, you mean there's more than that? Yeah. And then we're healed of our brokenness over time and we're, we're given spiritual gifts and purpose and destiny. You mean there's more? Yeah. And then death loses its power and it's all heading towards new creation and the world's going to be made right and God's presence complete. You mean there's more? Yeah, there's more. Yeah, there's more. That is how I believe this life of faith in Christ is meant to feel. Constantly awakening to the, to the ceaseless love of God and the new delights and astonishment and wonder that comes when we recognize just what he has done for us. So we're all kind of like Marty in a way when we're walking with Jesus. I tell you all this because Christmas morning— it's when it all began. Christmas morning is, is where our collective eyes as, a, as humanity began to open to the delight and wonder and astonishment of a God whose love defies description. That's when it all started. And this December, I want us to feel that. I want us to feel that together, that, that, uh, that peace that comes from that astonishment that, yes, there's more. Peace on earth. 
We all want Christmas time to be peaceful, right? Of course, as the, the hot chocolate and the, the music and all the stuff. We want it to be peaceful. I want us to experience peace at a whole other level. That's what I want this series to be about. So, why don't we talk about that? Peace on earth. A good way to start is to find out where do we get that phrase in the first place. And so let's just briefly talk about that. You've all heard this story at some point, I'm sure, if you've seen, I don't know, Peanuts Christmas or whatever. It's from the Gospel of Luke, where uh, Luke tells the story of a group of shepherds who are, you know, abiding in their fields by night. They're out there watching their sheep on, in, outside of Bethlehem when all of a sudden this angel shows up and tells them something astonishing. The angel says, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And a few moments later, a whole army of angels shows up and they all start shouting, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. So that's where it comes from. What did they mean? What what did these angels mean when they said peace on earth, goodwill towards men? What, what, What does the birth of a baby boy in some ancient small town have to do with global peace and And what does it have to do with us? Or or to ask it another way, is there any peace for you and for me that comes because of the birth of Jesus? Does that exist? Well, spoiler alert, yes. I think the answer is yes. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you four ways that I believe we can experience peace because of Jesus. Today, we'll talk about peace that comes in our hearts, peace in our hearts. Next week, peace in our family. The week after that, peace in our community, and on Christmas Eve, we'll talk about peace in our world. I think it's going to be good, peace in our world. That's a lot of peace. And I want us to be able to say by Christmas, wait, there's more. Because yes, there is. That's what I want us to say. So let's open our Bibles. Let us look at uh, what we can learn, first of all, about the peace in our hearts that comes because of the incarnation. That's the, the big theological word for, for Jesus being born, uh, becoming God, becoming man, becoming a human in our world. We're going to look at Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. It's going to be page 985 in the House Bibles. And while you guys are turning there, I just want to make a quick, uh, I just wanted to have a little Pastor Barry moment with the people who are watching online. Some of you, I've had some conversations with a few of you over the phone recently or, or bumping into you in places, and I've heard a few people, not everybody, but a few who've said something to the effect of, oh yeah, we really got to get back there. We really got to come back in person. We just got out of the habit of it, and we feel really guilty, but we should come back, and, and we're just not really in the habit of it. First of all, If that's you, I want you to hear just two things from me. First, don't feel guilty. Please don't feel guilty. There's no pressure. There's no guilt coming from us that you've got to come back in person. COVID changed everybody's routines, disrupted all of our rhythms. It's a new beginning for everybody. So please don't feel guilty. You stay watching online. We've created our online uh, platform specifically so that everybody can worship with us, whether they are here or at a distance, okay? So don't feel guilty. But second, I'm going to, if you are in the Venn diagram of people who could come back, would like to come back, but just haven't yet, and people who are are comfortable making that choice, in other words, like, it's not a, there's no health concerns or anything like that, if that's you, you you might come back and you can come back, here's what I'd like to ask. Would you come back? 
Would you come back in person? Not because, again, there's no guilt, there's no, but because I think you're kind of missing out on something really great. There's a great vibe here on Sunday mornings in person. The lobby's a buzz. There's donuts. We had, like I said, there's the, the, the brass, uh, brass quintet out there. We've got people cheering in the room. It's, it's, it's a great time to be here. And, it's, and there's something that you cannot replicate online, and that is the conversation that you have as you're walking in. It's the conversation you're having with the person sitting next to you. If you're comfortable and you don't feel like there's a, a concern about coming back and you've been just kind of waiting, would you do it? That's my ask. All right, let's read this, Philippians 4, and we'll get into this idea of peace in my heart. Paul's writing to his dear friends in the church in Philippi, and he says this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and worthy of, uh, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. And then... The God of peace will be with you. Okay, so that's our passage for today. Let's start with this question. Is Paul being ridiculous here? Is this, is this all hyperbole? I mean, look at how he starts. Don't worry about anything. Yeah, don't worry. Okay, fine, sure. I'll just stop worrying about things, Paul. Or, or uh, remember this, if you grew up in the church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Remember that song? I grew up with that song. It is relentless, right? Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Like, you do not get away from that. You better rejoice. You gotta be joyful. It's like, it's, it is a, whew, it, and then you do it in a round, and it's like, it's like coming at you from all angles. Anyway, anyway. Always joyful, never worrying, right? That's what Paul says, we got to live that way. It does seem a little bit idealistic at first glance, doesn't it? That's a little bit out there, especially in 2021. I mean, come on, the world is going up in flames. Everybody's screaming at each other. We're all exhausted. Rejoice in the Lord always, right? And again, I say rejoice. Sure, yeah, I'm going to just get right on that, that constant, ceaseless rejoicing, Paul, right? So, okay, maybe Paul, maybe he's just being, I don't know, hyperbolic. He's painting some picture of, a, of an unattainable ideal to make a point. Maybe it's idealism. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. For one thing, Paul does use hyperbole in other places. But when he does, he makes it pretty clear that he's using hyperbole. Like, if he's being ridiculous, he will often say, I know I'm being ridiculous, but blah, blah, blah. He's not doing that here. He's taking this pretty seriously. And for another thing, he seems to tie this idea of constant joy, of, of, of freedom from worry, on a pretty clear and, and cut and dry concept, the peace of God. Verse 7, Paul says it is, it is a peace that exceeds anything we can understand. Literally, in Greek, he says it surpasses thought. 
It goes beyond like what our brains can, can even imagine. That, according to Paul, is the peace that will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ. Somehow he seems to think that that, that peace will allow us to rejoice ceaselessly, to, to be free from worry. So that's what Paul seems to think. Before we too quickly rule out what he's saying as some kind of wishful thinking, as some kind of fantasy— why don't we dig in a little bit to that idea and just see what this peace of God he's talking about is really all about? Because I happen to believe that the peace he mentions here is the exact same peace that those angels talked about with those shepherds on Christmas morning. Peace on earth. They're connected. They're the same. So let's talk about it because right now, when I look around at all that we're going through and what we're facing, when I look—I'll I'll speak plainly—when I look at my own heart, I'll tell you, man, I wish, I wish I could rejoice a bit more. Don't you? I miss joy, and I want to get it back. I think we all do. And so let's talk about this, because I don't think that, that joy and, a freedom from, and freedom from anxiety necessarily have to be simply unattainable. I think we can find it. I want to learn how to rejoice again. Don't you? So let's talk about this, this, this peace of God that Paul mentions. To understand this concept, I think it's important that we understand peace from, a, from an entire scriptural standpoint. What, what is peace in the storyline of the whole Bible? What did Paul understand peace to mean as he meditated on the, the Torah and the Psalms and the writings and the prophets? Like, what did he think of when he thought of peace? Well, what we see when we look at the storyline of the Bible is that peace is way more than just an absence of warfare. Okay, peace goes way beyond that. It's not just an absence of war. In Scripture, peace, or shalom in Hebrew, you know that word, you've probably heard that, shalom, it, it, it means wholeness and completeness. It, it, by extension, it means abundance and, and fruitfulness and life. That's peace. Peace in Scripture, put simply, you want to understand it, you look at the Garden of Eden. That's peace. The presence of God. It's, it's all things made right for humanity. No conflict between people, no shame, no greed. That's what peace looks like. Enough for all. And the whole storyline of the Bible, as I've talked about constantly, is the idea that God is working to bring us back to that garden ideal. He wants us back in his presence, back into that abundance and that peace, that shalom. When you want to understand peace in Scripture, think about Marty the pig. Yes, Marty has a secure fence to keep out predators, but that is hardly what defines his life. No, as I mentioned before, his life is defined by, by acorns and grass and sunshine and pumpkins and, and blankets everywhere, right? That's what defines his life. His life is defined by, wait, there's more. That's peace. That's biblical peace. And I believe that that is exactly the kind of, of wholeness and well-being that God desires for you and for me. That's what he wants us to experience. That is biblical peace, a return to Eden. And that is the peace I believe that Paul is talking about here. Peace on earth, God's peace. Just as an aside, imagine for a moment that that was your mentality. 
imagine that you thought of, of reality the way that Paul's describing here. That you, you, day by day, you're experiencing life and abundance and enough and God's presence, and you're constantly saying, wait, there's more, wait, there's more. If that was how your life was going, it might not seem quite so ridiculous to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, right? That might come a bit more naturally for you. If you were living, experiencing true biblical peace, a peace that exceeds anything we can understand, it would change you wouldn't it? It would change you if that was your, your, your day-to-day. So that's biblical peace. And I just wanted to throw that out there because maybe this isn't quite as unattainable as it might seem at first glance. Here's what we have to wrestle with. According to Paul, according to Paul, this peace, God's peace, peace on earth, is something we can experience right now. Right now, today. Again, verse 7, this peace— is something that he says will guard our hearts and our minds as we live in Christ Jesus. Today, now, this is not a, 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 just a future thing. It's not unattainable. It's not wishful thinking. It's possible, according to Paul. But if that's true, if that's actually true, then how do we begin to live into it? How do we put this into practice, especially during these hectic times, these divided times? I mean, it sure doesn't feel like Eden when I'm looking around, right? Right? Well, I think, I think there's an important clue in verse 8. Look at verse 8. Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable, what is right. And he goes on, pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. To Paul, there is a level of intentionality about what we focus our minds on. We have a choice to make. We can choose where, what we're going to hold in our hearts, what we are going to focus our attention on. And he says, look, there's plenty of other things to focus our attention on, but you should fix your mind. Make the choice to fix your mind, fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is good. Now, thankfully, we don't have to guess about what it is that he means that's true. We don't have to think about that. We don't have to have to wonder because Paul spells it out earlier on. He says, he's already said this in verse 5. He says, remember, fix your thoughts on the fact that the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. Now, literally what he says there is, is remember that the Lord is near. The Lord is near, close at hand. Remember that. Paul says, and then you'll experience peace. And then you can rejoice. The Lord is near. So what exactly does he mean by this? The Lord is near. Well, there's two options that I've found that that are commonly understood to be what Paul's getting at. The New Living Translation, the, the version that we are reading, they've already made an interpretive choice. They've picked one of the two options, uh, and they see this as an eschatological statement. That's a big theological word for something in the future about the end of days. That they, they see this. They say the Lord is coming soon. In other words, he is, his second coming, his return is coming soon. This would have been the way that the Old Testament prophets thought of the future. They said, stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is what? Is near, is at hand, is close. In other words, 
The day that we've been waiting for, the day where God's going to make all things right in this broken world once and for all, the coming of new creation in, in, in all of its fullness, the ultimate return to Eden, right? That day is so close you can taste it. You can almost grasp it. The Lord is near. He's coming. Remember that? Live like it's true. And yeah, Yeah, you can have a bit of peace of God guarding your heart, right? Because you know where things are headed. You know where where, where this, this train is taking us to new creation. The Lord is near. The Lord is coming soon. So that's one way to understand it. That's one interpretive option. There's another one. Another, another way to look at this phrase, and that's to think that uh, when we say the Lord is near, that's talking about proximity, like the Lord is close by, near, near to us physically or, or, or uh, c- close proximate to us. And that's how the psalm writers talk about it. They say uh, in Psalm 145, the Lord is near, close to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In other words, Paul could be saying here, remember, Jesus is not far off. No, he's right beside you. He's there with you in your trials. He's with you in your pain. The Lord is near, so you don't have to worry about anything. You can rejoice because you are not alone. You're not alone. The truth, this truth can give you a peace that exceeds anything we can understand because the God of the universe is here. The Lord is near, is near. So those are the two options. Which one is it? Which one is Paul trying to get across? Does Paul want his readers to remember that the Lord is is coming soon? Or does he want us to think that the Lord is right there beside us no matter what? Well, I tend to think that the answer is a bit of both. I think the answer is both because, frankly, these two ideas are not mutually exclusive. And you want the best proof I can give of that? It's Christmas morning itself. Think about what happened the, the moment that Jesus was born. On that, that fateful day in Bethlehem, the God of the universe entered into our space. He sent his only son to be born as one of us, a flesh and blood human who would experience what? Joy and hope and, and life and love, but also pain and grief and loneliness and betrayal. He was going to be so radically identifying with our sin, our brokenness, our mess, that he would take it all upon himself on the cross. That is a God who is close. That is a God who is with us. When we say the Lord is near, that's what we're talking about. He is with us so closely that it defies our ability to understand. That's what we see when we look at the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men, yes, We can have peace in our hearts because our God has not left us alone. Emmanuel, it means God with us. The Lord is near. But that's not all that Christmas morning began. Think about what happened. The moment that that baby first cried, the moment Jesus uh, sprang to life, the first cry of that baby boy was like the, the first seedling sprouts of spring of new creation beginning to emerge into our world. Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, he inaugurated God's long-awaited kingdom, God's rule on the earth. He began the transformation of our world. From that day until now, Jesus has been healing the broken places of our world and returning humanity to Eden. 
It's a transformation that you and I are still a part of every day. Yeah, the Lord is near because his intentions are finally coming to fruition. He is coming soon. He is coming. And every day, you and I are invited to participate in that abundance, in that joy, in that healing, in that hope. If we have eyes to see his hands at work in this world, then we too can say with utter astonishment, you mean there's more. Yeah, there's more. It gets better. Our Lord stands closer than a brother, and he is on the way to make all things right, to make all things new. The Lord is near. So Paul tells his readers to always be full of joy in the Lord. Tells them not to worry about anything, just pray about everything. Well, right now in 2021, that seems like an awful lot to ask. That seems like a lot. But I wonder if it's possible for us to at least get a taste of this peace of God in our hearts this Christmas season. Can we taste it? Can we begin to, to try to wrap our minds around it? Not, not, not manufactured peace, not holiday cheer, but but. but Shalom, biblical peace. Can we taste that? Is it possible for us, for you, for me, to fix our thoughts on what is true? Can can we live as if the Lord is near? Can we live with that truth in our mind? I think we can. I think we can learn how to do that. And frankly, I think it's vital that we learn how to do that. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of our broken world. We've got to learn how to celebrate and acknowledge the fact that our Lord is near. So here's what I want to do to kind of get this whole series off and running. I want to give you a simple tool that you can use to practice this, to to, to practice fixing your thoughts on what is true. It's a tool that you can do, something you can practice when you are in the middle of an infuriatingly long line uh, at the checkout counter of some store. It's it's something you can do when you're stuck in traffic. It's something you can do when you're sitting in front of a fireplace with hot chocolate. It's something you can do when when you're alone, when you're lonely, when you're grieving. You can do this at any point. It's called a breath prayer. A breath prayer. You gotta breathe. We all do. That's not a choice, but you can choose what to do with that breath. And so I'm inviting you to consider periodically this week, this month, this year, would you, would you consider breathing these words as a prayer to God, fixing your thoughts on what is true? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Whichever of the two meanings of that phrase resonates with you the most, would you breathe that prayer to God? If you are facing, for example, right now, if you're facing anxiety or helplessness or loneliness, remember, I want you to remember that Jesus is not far away. He's not distant from you. No, he is closer than a brother. He became one of us because of his love for you. He is acquainted with grief and suffering. He is with you in your pain. He sees, he cares, he is near. So if that's, if that's what you need to hear, if that's what you need to remember and fix your thoughts on, then maybe when you pray the Lord is near, what it means for you is the Lord is near and he will never leave my side. Fix your thoughts on that. Or 
Maybe, maybe you're feeling just overwhelmed with the brokenness around you or the brokenness of our world right now. Maybe you're losing hope. You, you, things feel bleak and depressing and you just, you just don't know how you can go on. If that's you, if that's where you are, remember what the birth of Jesus began. That sprout, that, that, that new spring that began on that morning. The beginning of new creation, worldwide transformation. When you pray, the Lord is near, maybe it means for you the Lord is near and he is making all things right. It's a reminder of that truth. The Lord is near. So here's what I want to do right now. Band is going to come on up. They're going to sing a song here in a moment. But before they do that, I want us to practice this together. You don't have to say anything out loud, but I'm going to pray this breath prayer several times, and I'm going to invite you to, to close your eyes, to, to bow your heads, to do whatever you'd like to do to, to participate with me. We're going to pray this, and as, as we do, would you listen for the voice of the Spirit, especially as you're breathing in? Would you listen for the voice of the Spirit about which of these truths you need to hear, that the peace of God can guard your hearts and your minds as you fix your thoughts on what is true. So let's pray together right now. And again, I encourage you all this week, all this month, would you practice this breath prayer in the times that you need it most? Let's pray. The Lord is near. 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 watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.